Welcome to Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener. I'm Solyndra Buller, your host. Our returning guest today is Chris Chung. He's a vision-building storyteller. He embodies teachings from a long lineage of imagery masters, Taoist and Zen masters, Lao Tzu, and their teams, who came to him in 2016 to teach him and initiate him during many hours of dream time and deep meditation. He assists others in bringing forth non-dual dreams from the void, transforming imagery into practical milestones. If you weren't uh, tuning in to our last episode, Chris had taken us from his earlier years as a child all the way up to the point where he ended up in the hospital after an arm wrestle and eight hours of surgery. So welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me again, Sal. This is a, such a, an incredible story. Um, I've had numerous viewers and listeners uh, send me you know, messages about how they relate to your story and how life in their eyes was so challenging uh, and um, that you know, it's such, a, it's such a beautiful thing for a male to be so uh, vulnerable and so open-heartedly sharing what you're sharing. So I want to thank you for that on behalf of all those people that actually messaged me and wanted me to pass that along to you. Thank you. Yeah, vulnerability is, is part of the journey. It's that really deep, reflective contemplation that we either choose to do or don't choose to do. <laughs> It's yes. a choice. Yes. And I, yeah. and I do believe you've got a big heart and you're very, very good with, uh, with your words and you're able to articulate with, you know, such an incredible uh, ease where, you know, some, some people are lost for words to ex actually express to someone else mm. what they're going through or what they felt. Mm. Yeah. So on that note, Chris, if you could take us a little bit further in your journey. So you're in the hospital and then. So I'm in the hospital. I've just woken up out of, um, you know, an eight hour surgery, two surgeries, actually. It was eight hours in total. The first time they went in, they, it, it was successful, but there was still some um blood vessels, et cetera, that hadn't closed up completely. But I realized as I was walking um, around with this um, inner bag attached to my arm in the geriatric section of the hospital and seeing 70, 80, 90 year olds doing exactly the same thing, I said, I, I don't want to be like that. That's not if I continue to lead this life as, as it is right now, um, this is likely where, where I will be. And, and I said, I want to make the most of what I've been gifted. And it was at that point that I said, I have no idea where to begin. And the first stage of that journey was um, of that 
knew Chris um, was in the only space that I knew, which was physical health um, exercise, because I had done a lot of sports. Um, so it was um, going to the gym, thinking about my nutrition. Um, I picked up dancing because I loved dancing. Um, and I began doing that. And through a process of what I would just call like body recomposition. And so this was my, this was the beginning of my transition. And the, what I was still finding though, were some of my old vices were still sort of powering um, and driving a lot of say, um, I was still enjoying partying. I, I still had this inner desire to want to drink. I still had this inner desire to still want to watch porn. I still had all of these inner desires to womanize, but I sort of just ignored them. I, I kind of went more numb to them and I held them back. Um, and so at the same time, my relationship with, uh, with people, with new, new people in social settings, uh, with women, with men, I was becoming less cold. I was becoming more open. I was becoming more warm-hearted. But I still had very limited literacy to my feelings. I noticed that if I began a relationship, um, I didn't really, they would seem to fall flat. And it would, they would kind of flatline. Um, and that would be very, very, um, um, you know, it just became very, uh, I did, I thought that that was just normal. You know, I thought that's just what we all experience. Um, so I kept doing that until I really pursued um, my, what, I had a sense of as a child were visions of the future. And I, I, um, which would come true. And I was raised Catholic and very religious. And it doesn't, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about any of this. The priest doesn't talk about any of this. And so I was very, very curious. I was like, what is going on? And this is in about 2012. And so I, I decided to um, seek out a um, like a psychic psychic medium life coach and this was in December early December I sought this person out and she told me all these things all of these things that she knew about me mm. and I was, I was like wow how does this person know so much and if you can share an example of that that would be really you know, nice. um, so all that she knew about me was my first name and that was it. I had just phoned, I caught, she didn't even know what, she, what I looked like because I called her on her home phone. There's no caller ID. My number's untraceable. My name's untraceable. Um, some of the things she knew about me straight away were some of my characteristics, how I was brought up, how, um, how I sort of had these different abilities to see into the future and what that meant and 
and um, how my relationships looked and the different cycles that I would go through, like of my hobbies, that they would um, swing around every seven years or so. Mm. There were all these intricate things that she knew about me um, that I sort of thought, how is it that this person could possibly know? And why, why, would you, why would you reach out to a psychic rather than, I don't know, your yoga teacher or your priest or like what made you think of a psychic? I'm just trying to wrap my head. There's two questions. There's that one. And the yeah. other one is that I want to take you back just a couple of sentences where you yeah. said that you were numbing your vices. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and so those two things kind of, if you can share, like numbing your vices, how are you able to numb your vices? That's number one. And number two is why did you reach out to a psychic and not someone else? Like what made you think yeah. to reach it? Cause this is. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's like when an inner urge comes up that, Oh, I just want to drink. Oh, I just want to party. That we put that to the side. That we sort of suppress it. We push it down. We ignore it. We do something else. Um, like uh, we make ourselves busy in a different way. Like I might stay longer at work. Right. You know, right. I might, instead of going out, um, to see my friends, I might um, decide to go home instead and watch a movie or do something else or go to dance class. You know, I think dance class was a big escape for me. So the urges were still coming up. Um, but I would sort of distance myself from those urges in a way by keeping myself busy. So it's a replacement. You found a replacement for whatever that was. Now, at this right. time, were you, would you consider yourself addicted to any of these vices or were they just something that you enjoyed to the point where it got I out think, of hand? I think for me, addiction and choice are very blurred lines. I think, I think that like, um, for me, what defines an addiction is an un, well, it's a, it's an urge that arises that we have a repeated set of behaviors that we do as reactionary to the urge. And for some, it may feel completely like out of control just it's very very in habit and every time we, we try to stop it it sort of returns that's mm -hmm. kind of what i feel like is an addiction so like with porn uh the urge for masturbation to porn for um needing to feel a type of excitement through partying and drinking or whatever that may be the those those types of urges um are addictive and were addictive and and although i was more more frequently doing them before i had broken my arm 
the addictions were sort of still there, just not as controlling in my, not as, not as energetically present in my life because I wasn't spending as much time doing them, yet mm-hmm. the urges were still all there. Mm. So this is really interesting because it brings me to an incredible doctor here locally. I'm sure that you've heard of him and if you haven't, and, and the same goes for the listeners. There's a wonderful doctor here in Vancouver. He's world renowned for his, his work in um, addictions and addictive behaviors. And he feels that every human being on the face of this earth, as an animal, we are addicted, whether it's addicted to chatting on the phone or checking your cell phone or going out there shopping for the next big CD. So just so that we bring your attention and awareness there. So thank you for that clarification, um, Chris. And now going back to the second question, if we can get an answer to that. Yeah. What I really wanted to um, get the perspective of was the metaphysical, the esoteric. Um, I think that that element really intrigued me. And uh, whilst I kind of knew that these sort of uh, psychic or extrasensory awarenesses were available to us, I knew it at 99% because I hadn't personally experienced them. And it was that extra 1% where I experienced it from someone else just completely blew my mind. I, to be honest, um, was, I, I didn't know any yoga. I didn't know any yoga teachers. Um, my spiritual life was not, well, was, was not a consideration. I had, I didn't have a circle or, or a network of people who could help me in that, in that way. Um, so the most, the most like spiritual woo-woo metaphysical thing I could think of was a, was a, was a psychic. And um, I, for me, I've always had this, um, uh, whilst I, I, as a child and growing up, I was very, very logical, um, like rationale and logics was kind of like a priority of development. I still had a very strong intuitive sense to follow through with certain things. Um, and that's, I think, what led me to her. Now, did you, do you feel, Chris, that maybe the artistic outlet that you had would have contributed to that understanding? Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Intu- intuition. Yeah, yeah because... Um, you know when you're when you're when you're really focused on sports on gym on um what i would call very masculine energy type of activities very young energies um for me it wasn't very balanced it was very much that side when i started to take up dance um and it was street dance it was it was like hip-hop um it was like very um free type movement i would say um at the initially it felt very awkward i would almost look robotic because it was like because masculine movement is it looks quite jarring um but i had to work flow into my body mm-hmm. and it's this working flow into my body 
that develops um, flow in thinking as well and flow in sensing. Can you repeat that? Because that's a very important aspect that all listeners need to pay attention to. Yeah. Flow. Flow. There's when we have flow in our body, meaning that it's, there's no part of our body that's disjointed, that's not doing jarring action, wherein we're in this sensation of being able to be wavy like water in the body. Um, that flow works its way into our minds. And so our minds also become more like more able to go with flow as well. They become more placid and fluid. And we find that our thinking isn't so rigid. We can think outside the box more. We find creativity can return. Right. Thank you for that. And so, yeah. And so feminine movement, I would say, is like dancing would be like um, Tai Chi would be like um, uh, certain types of yoga. Uh, I mean, there is a, there is a, the yin yoga. Um, yeah. Yeah, and if you bring any art form into your life, and it, be it whatever art form, where you're easily able to express the truth of who you are, that allows that flow to expand. It allows for you to connect at a deeper level to those subtle energies and to be guided as Chris was uh, with his intuition. So. Thank you for clarifying that because I, I, I don't want to miss an opportunity to allow for the listener to actually completely understand, although you and I understand. So, um, okay, sorry. Uh, I know, and it's really hard when you're trying to tell your story and someone's cutting in to just get some clarification. So, yeah. Um, that took me down the path of the psychic. After the psychic, I went to do, um, uh, we both sort of, I had been looking into energy healing and what, what is energy healing about? What is this about? What's, what's Reiki healing? What's Qigong healing? What's hands-off healing? Um, because um, one of the things that she said um, about me was there was this, um, she mentioned how um, these experiences of mine where I had ex ex-girlfriends who would have a lot of um, menstrual menstruation pain and I'd be able to put my hands on the back of their um, uh, like kidney, hip, sacral area and um, they would be that those massive pains would be able to just leave their body without any painkillers, without any aspirin or anything like this. And I, at the time when I was 20, I, I just put that down to, um, I was taught by my auntie. She was a physiotherapist to do different work on myself. So trigger point therapy, I had you know, ultrasound devices and I was just able to work with myself. So I just, kind of put that healing ability down to that. But um, when 
Donna, which is the psychic who I was speaking about, and she said, you have an ability, you have had experiences where you put your hands on people and then all their pain goes away. I'm like, yeah, what? Is that not normal? He's like, well, it is, it is, but not to the extent that you're doing. It's, it's you know, not how you, you, do, you, you do this. And so she encouraged me to seek out a Reiki person. And so I did. I took a day off. I went to see this Reiki person, um, which was very, very out of the ordinary for me to do because I would never take a day off work. I was never, never sick. I wouldn't even, I took two days off from my broken arm. I was in surgery, and, but I took a day off. I was like, I, I need to do this. And when I went to experience this Reiki uh, treatment, um, I had all of these tingles through my body. And it was completely hands-off. She's just placing her hands over me. And all these different colors that I was seeing, all these different things. And I was like, what is going on here? Um, just, it was a irrefutable experience of what I would have called the mystical, something that science couldn't explain to me. And so I was like, wow, this is incredible. And this is kind of like the middle of December. And the reason I'm giving you this chronological order is because I want to, it's, I, I just want, really want the message to get out how important it is to follow that intu intuition. Because it's that intuition that leads us to really special, special moments. Because the next part which was only a week later after I had this Reiki, a week or two later, I had this another uh, calling as I was walking to dance class on the, on the 21st of December 2012 to go instead to a meditation that Trungvalo was leading. And so I went, I sat on the edge of my bed and I opened up the screen. And during this process, um, of meditating, which was my second meditation. It was out of the ordinary that I would go home and sit and meditate. I had a massive Kundalini experience, a heart, heart orgasm. So it's like a sexual orgasm, but it emanates from the heart. There's no touching of the penis or genitals. It's just, you're, I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. I'm hol holding my feet against my chest. And in the middle of this, um, of this meditation, uh, this heart meditation, I am suddenly orgasming from my heart. I feel connected to everything in a three meter radius of myself. And I suddenly understand what unconditional love feels like. And I'm gyrating and I'm feeling this for 20 plus, 25 plus minutes. I'm crying. It is a profound mystical experience. And I'm like, and it can kind of continues. These waves continue through the night, through the night, through the night. And I'm just like, what is, what on earth is this? What is this mystery? And all of a sudden it was like, I had all of this um, knowingness that, wow, all, all of this time I'd been reading or being preached the Bible, reading the Bible, all these people speaking about unconditional love, c compassion, all of this stuff I knew in the mind. And all of a sudden I knew it in my body. I knew it through my whole being. And I'm like, this is what um, Jesus and all these 
all the other people in you know these uh, mystical texts are talking about the sacred heart. I'm like, people. I just wanted to share it. I'm like, people have got this wrong. What are they doing? What are they, do- what are they doing? What are they teaching? What are they? Why isn't no one having this experience, right? But yeah. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions here again because I think yes. it's very, very important. Again, um, first, you um, you obviously decided, made that commitment. You're going into this meditative state. Was there anyone? with you at that point or was it just yourself and just myself just yourself okay and then secondly at any point did the fear did the fear kick in as in um not having done meditation having this profound experience of the uh heart center exploding um wide open um was there any point where you felt a sense of what the heck is going on? Is this a heart attack uh, or that didn't matter because it was just an incredible experience that you were just taken away? Yeah, no, I was just completely taken away. I mean, and also I think the fact that it felt exactly like a sexual orgasm. And you were quite Um, familiar with that. So you were, you were good. And, but it was just emanating from my heart. And it was almost as though I had to check myself. I'm like, what, what, what? But yet it was all connected at the same time. So it was like a sexual orgasm that had no uh, genital stimulation. That was just, it encompassed the whole body. It was like a full body orgasm. Wow. But with a, with a distinctly, uh, with a distinct core in the middle of the heart and an emanation that came from here. Right. And you described waves. Is there anything that's on this planet that you have ever gone maybe to, you know, the exhibition where they have many different forms of rides or anything that you can even just minutely compare that to the waves? What were those waves? How would you describe those waves? The the closest um, experience, I think, that um, uh, the the second closest experience, I would I would say, would probably be different forms of plant medicine, like the um, not the ayahuasca, but the the grandfather, the this Huachuma, the San Pedro, which is a heart medicine, the the, the Mayans and, and 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 some of the South Americans call this cactus the um the heart medicine and in different journeys um like plant journeys or really deep meditations um where you might be in darkness for many days and fasting and just meditating there are waves of like what i would call dmt experiences or kundalini floods and there are rises of peaks and then troughs and then rises in peaks and, and troughs. And they're momentary. Um, it's like bursts of energy that rise through your body. It may be sensual or maybe sexual. Um, it may be just bliss, waves of bliss. And they might be strong and frequent or they might be long and more extended out. 
So from a, from a feeling uh, perspective, those are probably the second closest. The third is, I mean, I, I would probably just say like being on a boat where um, it's a smaller boat and they're relatively calmer um, seas. You might be on a lake. And so you're sort of just bobbing, 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 and then there's a bigger wave that comes around. And so you're sort of riding it. It's like this bump. It might be a bigger bump. It might be a smaller bump. It's just, it's like riding that wave, Um, riding waves. Yeah. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Thank you for that explanation. And you've done a, a really good job of explaining because I too had my awakening and I would compare that to those waves. And um, so that's beautiful. And um, so you've had this, you know, incredible experience. And then where, what happens next? Um, next, I was, I was just on the search. What is this that I just experienced? <clears throat> and so I started to look more into Jumvalo's work because obviously I just did his meditation. I'm like, what, what is going on? I had read some of his books, which was why I was drawn to his meditation in the first place. And that's when I found Daniel Mattel. Um, and he was coming to Australia just, um, I think it was about a month after I had that experience, about a month or two after I had that experience. And I went online and I was like, oh, wow, there's a teacher of Trinvala who's going to be in Australia in one to two months. Perfect. Book. That was when I booked, um, it was Drumvalo's workshop, Awakening the Inner Heart uh, workshop, and I booked it. Um, and when I first, yeah, I first met Daniel, I'm like, oh my goodness, he just looks like my dad, like a West, a, like similar Western, <laughs> Western version of my dad. I'm like, what? Like, it's so flabbergasted. Um and so, um, yeah, Daniel was able to give me a lot of um, pointers and direction and hints there and, and a lot of exercises to help me continue that practice, continue this, this sensation. I think once you've experienced something as profound as what it actually means to be in your heart, it's hard to let that go. Yeah. It's really, really hard to let that go. Why would we not be in that blissful state all the time um so um i decided then to um you know continue studying in that in that um in that space jumbalo's work continue practicing the exercises um but i also decided to deepen my experience um in my meditations so um i was very called to do these darkroom retreats by jasmine where um, it was in Thailand and um, it's nine days, there's no food, only water, and you're sort of sitting in the dark for nine days. And I booked it because I'm like, I have to be there. Um, And I forget how much of a gap that was. I think a couple of months maybe, I'm not sure, a couple of months or less than a year. And... um, I completely unprepared for what was about to happen. Um, And I just went in 
And I remember, uh, you know, all of my friends and work peoples and, and family were like, you're paying how much to go sit in the dark and not eat? Like, maybe you just want to come to my, to my spare room and pay me that much. I'll, I'll charge you half as much and uh, I won't give you any food and you can just sit in the dark in my spare room there. I'm like, I don't know. I just have to go. Again, it's this following intuition. I've got no idea what's on the other side. You know, so I turn up into this room and, um, uh, and it's like this hall with about 40 odd people. It's two levels. And thank thankfully I'm downstairs. I have a look and then it's like lights off. And the first moment of lights off, I was like, what am I going to do for nine days? It struck me then. It was like, oh my goodness, what, am I, what on earth am I going to do for nine days? I had a pen and a piece of paper, uh, not a piece of paper, a book. And I was like, I've got to write in the dark. And I'm like, what do I write? What do I do? <laughs> so um, it was very challenging. It was like, you know, I, had to, I didn't know, like you can barely stand up because it's, we rely so much on our sight to, um, to be able to balance. So there are all these things, mozzies that were coming and biting me in the dark. All of this, um, so for the first three days, it's like getting over this, 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 this dark stuff. What is, what is being in the dark? Getting over hunger, um, getting, over, getting over food. What I did were a lot of Tibetan techniques that I had learned from Daniel, which were, um, uh, they weren't, I just, it was like there was this part of me that just knew how to do them. It was, I don't think Daniel was actually teaching these techniques to anybody yet. Um, but now I know them to be like Tibetan reversing techniques. Um, that very first one I hadn't done, uh, Daniel hadn't created those workshops yet, but I intuitively knew to go back to the points of my trauma in my life. When you're sitting in darkness with nothing to do in silence and you're just reflecting and being contemplative of, you know, quieting the mind, all I knew were heart, you know, heart meditations. I started to review my life. And to embrace different moments where other people had hurt me, where I had hurt other people, directly or indirectly. And I began this process of seeing it with my heart, seeing all of these experiences, not from the mind of why did this happen? Why did this person leave me? Why did I leave this person? Blah, blah, blah. All that was very quiet. It was just viewing it from, from here from the heart and in that space comes a lot of forgiveness or is it is it's the only place where we're able to forgive the mind finds it very difficult to forgive so i did this whole cleansing process through this very contemplative cleansing process by the sixth sixth day um Sorry, by the third day, I started to have a lot of DMT release. So spending three days in darkness you and fasting, your body starts to release a lot of natural DMT. And so, so it starts to take you on a very natural journey. You start to see visions and things. So, you know, I would see like 
um, in this space where this where this big building was built was this golden temple. And I started to see different beings walking around. And um, what was interesting is after we got out of the dark room, we all, we all shared our experiences. We encountered the same beings, the same place, the same golden temple, which was like, wow, I wasn't just dreaming this up. Like okay. other people shared this experience with me. Right. So I'm going to stop you there just for a moment. Um, yeah. And we're going to, we're going to go back and get a couple of answers uh, to a couple of questions that popped up. And yep. so, um, first of all, prior to you making that decision of going to this dark room retreat, had you taken up um, yoga and meditation and made it a, you know, a part of your daily routine? I, I don't. I wouldn't say it was daily, but. I would not have really left my heart. The, as in, when you have such an experience like a massive heart orgasm, it's difficult to ever want to leave that place. It's a frequency that we can all embody. And it's this pervasive frequency that children all exude it's very it's it's it, children all have this it's very natural to children that we're just born with this that we exude this um really warm heart energy and so for me it was almost as though it was a daily 24 7 practice to stay there so i didn't really find such a big need to uh, have to, okay, in the morning I have to sit down and I need to do this meditation. At the night I need to do this before I go to sleep. At lunchtime I need to do this again. Because what it set in concrete for me was, here you go, this is exactly what it feels like, there's no doubts about what it is. Now you stay there. And so at any moment where I would feel myself pulled from that space, I would just take a step back. I would slow everything down. I would maybe stop what I was doing. Maybe I would disengage from whatever was causing me to want to pull away from my heart. Mind you, I was still going numb to conflict, certain elements of conflict. I was going emotionally numb, which led me to what I would just term as spiritual bypassing but it was all I, I just wanted to be in this really peaceful zen state and I would escape anything that wouldn't help me to stay there perfect I get that because Jim Carrey as you all you know the listeners out there know Jim Carrey had an incredible experience just like Chris and the idea is how do I get back there? How do I get back there? And how do I stay there? Yes. Now then, you know, and that's, that's basically the whole point of meditation. People who start off by not having this beautiful experience that Chris had right from the get go, 
the ones that are actually aware that there is something beyond what they know logically, what they're doing is they're searching to get back there, wherever there is. Um, and um, so they start off with meditation. So meditation in the morning, meditation in the afternoon, and meditation in the evening. And the idea of that is really to have it so that you lead a life, so your life becomes meditative. So you don't have to, like Chris said, go into the drama of everything that comes your way. That's a choice. And that's a huge choice. And of course, Chris was very kind in taking us down there. Now, the next question that I have for you, Chris, is DMT. Just so that every listener out there, because I'm very familiar with DMT and so are you, and we're very familiar with all of the different uh, hallucinogenics or uh, uh, spirit or plant medicines, because there is a belief system out there that there are sacred plants that take you on a journey. And they're not looked at as as a uh, narcotic or a drug, which is really negative connotation. They actually bow, they believe that this particular plant medicine it has he not only healing quanti uh, qualities, but that these plants were put on earth for us to reconnect with the entire and the whole, which is we are also partly plant. And so it's to bring us back. So on that note, I'm going to get Chris to explain DMT because the body makes it. Chris, take it away. DMT, um, dimethyltryptamine is a long form. Um, the body does produce it naturally in very, very small quantities. It is a substance that um, actually exists in everything, grass, um, uh, plants, it exists in the plant kingdom, just in very, very small quantities. But um, there are different levels of, um, of it occurring in certain plants, like the, the cactus, which has this as a substance called mescaline, and like ayahuasca and the copy vine and, and like different, different um, uh, naturally occurring um, things in this, in this world have the substance called DMT. What DMT is reported to be is um, a substance that heightens uh, intuitive awareness to the extent that um, you can start to close your eyes and see all sorts of different colors and um, potentially like we call it like a DMT tunnel or a DMT vision, which we people report that the pineal gland in the middle of the head um, begins to is, is what begins to release DMT. There are different reports now that it might not be the pineal gland and different things, but I think the essence of it is just simply that, it's a naturally occurring substance that can be naturally increased also in the body to be naturally produced, but it also can be influenced externally 
by taking your various plants or different drugs to also naturally increase. There are many, many different ways of naturally increasing DMT. Why would one want to do this? Um, well, for me, it was about seeking this, you know, this, this, this vision of like, okay, I, I want to see things. I want to see ghosts. I want to see like, I want to see chakras. I want to see auras. I, you know, I want to know, I want to see. It was this, this curiosity that was there. But uh, probably what I would say about it now is, is just that um, it, it, in its naturally occurring state um, in, in the body, um, at heightened levels, it gives you a really, um, it gives you a deeper connection to your own intuition gives you a deeper connection to like the sixth sense is what I would call it. It's, it's like you're kind of going through a process of creating a relationship with your sixth sense. And you see like our, our experience, our human experience for me is a lot about creating relationships with different things. We often think when we say relationship, we're creating relationships with other people, but in a sense we're, creating relationships with ourselves and we're creating relationships with our own senses, with our touch, with our sight, with our hearing, with our taste. DMT really is the creating of, it's the outcome, I would say, of the create us, um, us nurturing a relationship with our sixth sense. Perfect. Yeah, that's a beautiful explanation. And, um, I, I think that, you know, for individuals that um, uh, have gone through huge traumatic experiences in life, they have a tendency because they do not want to be the person that they are, and they know that there is something hidden deep within their subconscious. And so a lot of individuals will go for these uh, plant retreat ceremonies. And again, word of caution, uh, please do make sure that you research before you just go and uh, decide to go on any of these kind of journeys. And that's our waiver uh, for Chris and I. So that, that, and the final and last question of Chris, before we uh, continue with your journey, uh, that is, you ended up uh, signing up for a darkroom retreat. And when you signed up for this dark room retreat, were you aware, you know, all of the details of the dark room retreat, of what you were going to be going through, what you were possibly going to experience? And then at the end, uh, was there, you know, you don't just go to a dark room retreat and then you jump out into light. There's a real form of going in and a real form of coming out. If you can just, uh, share with the audience because I, I, I want to make sure the audience understands. Yep. Um, there is a process. Um, it is explained a lot, especially when you're doing nine days uh, of, you know, no food. There's a, there's a, you, you become acclimatized to the dark and that's kind of explained as much as words can explain. Um, and yeah, a process of acclimatizing back to the to the light. And again, it's explained. 
Um, and yeah, there are there are a lot of research articles um, uh, that uh, that talk to the benefits of doing darkroom therapy, etc. The health benefits, um, the 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 inner health benefits of doing it. Um, for me, though, um, because I knew what had led me to that space was all intuition, largely intuition. I didn't want to read anything. I only read the bare minimum, which was what do I have to do? Okay, how long do I have to be there? I didn't want to engage in any of the research. I didn't want to engage in any of the, the banter around the pros and cons of, of this because I was so strongly adamant that I just had to do this. I don't know why. Um, and I didn't know why I didn't feel compelled to have to actually explain it either to myself or to anybody else, because when you stop making these key turning point decisions from the mind, I, my sense of it is that's what leads us to transformation. I sense that the mind, the logical mind, the rational mind wants to keep us in what we say call safety or comfort of the confines of our existing practices, our existing habits. And for me, transformation is not possible from that. It is for me about exploring beyond the edges of what we already are experiencing. And the mind, a lot of people, uh, make decisions from the mind and this it's not that there's anything wrong with that but when we make decisions from the mind we're evaluating binary form polarity pros cons what's in it for me what are the benefits what are the disadvantages what am i going to get out of this what am i not going to get out of this what are the risks what are the what are the what are the um and how high and low are they you know, all the typical an analytics of analytics, literally analytics. What's the research? Where's the evidence? Where's the empirical evidence? I was having none of that because I was, for me, ever since coming into my heart, I was like, I know what to do. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I just know it. And so, um, I think that I would attribute a great deal of ex, ex, expanding my edges um, to, towards transformation, towards a new, new path. I would put it down to following and making decisions in my life, following my intuition and only my intuition. And um, the intuition uh, is really something that is connected to the heart and to the solar plex. Yes. I would say, I would say that it is possible to have intuition and feeling without a connection to the heart, which like a lot of, a lot of people, while some people do a lot of thinking, uh, mental thinking to process decision-making, a lot of people only do like say gut thinking. They think with their gut without their heart and that might be like um 
like let's say in a relationship you really really uh you feel a charge and attraction with this person and like your mind knows this person this is going to end in a this is going to be a disaster of a relationship but i'm going to follow my gut anyways because I, I i just i'm lusting after this person so much i'm lusting i'm lusting there's this charge that we can't ignore within our gut and we make that decision we're like i just ended back in the same same old type of relationship that i was so there's there's a process i i believe that we um the intuition that i'm talking about is one that is coming from the heart it's it's connected to the gut or it should be connected to the gut and it should be connected to the mind but it's largely emanating from the heart and that's if that's that's a distinct separation that i i generally want to want to make um to that to the overarching you know intuition like and and what i would say like discernment within intuition the truth that is behind intuition can get clouded because it can be clouded by our mental chatter telling us the inner critic saying no that's not good that's going to be bad blah 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 it can get clouded like that or our existing belief patterns and dogmas or it can get clouded by whatever emotional stuff we haven't worked on mommy and daddy issues and senses of feeling of like my heart's leading me here but my gut and my emotions are shaming me in this way or they're fearing this or they're fearing taking that new step towards beyond our edges so yeah that so then discernment really comes about like what's 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 my heart saying yeah yeah totally agree with with, with you on that one and and just for the listening audience also um naturally the female is wired to um navigate with that highly intuitive state uh just because of the way that we are and and again um uh, this is a point where i thank chris because um and this is a subject that chris and i will bring uh on another episode about uh the divine masculine and divine feminine because um our bodies are masculine and feminine and how to navigate that uh and it's beautiful because uh for a female to navigate uh a masculine world is more acceptable in society whereas for a male to bring out his intuitive and sensitive side which is very very feminine that side of him is almost shunned by society but i will not touch that but i want to thank chris for uh touching on that because this is exactly how we navigate this realm and this life also i want to ask chris it is now just past 1 hour i am going to give you the opportunity to come in for the third episode or we can continue this conversation if your time allows you to i can continue but yeah but we can split the pot we can split the um Okay, so I'm going to pause it right here and then we're going to record the third session and we'll put it out as a third session.